Welcome to X Chateau. X Chateau. The podcast that navigates the business of wine with unique perspectives and insights. With your host, Robert Vernick and Peter Young. Welcome to this episode of X Chateau. And today we're starting a series on wine public relations. And we have a guest, Stephanie Tuin from Tuin Communications, who is the president and co founder. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Hi, Robert and Peter. I'm very psyched to be on your show. I was wondering if you could give us a little background on Twin Communications and your personal background. Yes, of course. Well, I was probably destined to be in the wine PR from a very young age because I grew up in a restaurant. As you can tell from my accent, I am not exactly from New York City. I'm from (laughs) uh, France and from the south of France, from Provence. And my parents had a restaurant. And of course, what do parents, uh, restaurateur, do with their children to keep them busy? They put them to work. So at the (laughs) tender age of two years old, I was starting to greet clients and <laughs> sitting them in a lounge area and sometimes entertaining them. So I credit them for launching my career in PR and specifically in wine spirits and food PR. I moved to New York quite a while ago and met my Prince Charming here and stayed. What was going to be a six-month trip became a lifetime. And after working in a a large PR firm, I met a chef who was opening a restaurant in New York and couldn't afford my very large firm with with a huge conference room. You know, that totally scared him. And he said, we can't do this. Come work for me and I'll help you. So that's how Twin Communications was launched. We started with one restaurant. And then we worked, I joke that we opened and closed about 40 restaurants in the lifetime of 2N Communication. And then we decided to move on to wine and spirits. And right now we're way more liquid than solid. (laughs) And that's where we are. We're a small team, but totally dedicated. When I sometimes meet people, you know, who see the progress because People have followed what we do and say, Stephanie, you guys are huge. And I say, no, we're not huge. We're just really good (laughs) and efficient. And so we look like we're huge. I work with a team of fantastic, passionate, dedicated people, and we all love what we do, you know, and I think good results come from loving what you do for me, for my team, for my clients. So that's in a nutshell. And in the wine and spirits industry, we do pretty much everything as far as PR is concerned, not just media relations, but marketing, influencer events. It encompasses everything that is pertinent to this space of wine and spirit. That's a great uh, transition. For people who don't know or understand what a PR firm does, whether it's for wine and spirits or just in general, could you give us a sense or an overview of what a PR firm does for their clients? Yes. We have two goals that we achieve for our clients. The first one is to build or expand their awareness And the second one is to support their sales. In my opinion, a program should always 
come back to the bottom line for the client at some point. If uh, doing awareness or for awareness is not enough, and especially now. How we do this is we have a bunch of tools. One of them is what's called earned media, and the new term for media relations. And basically what we're doing with that is we're strategic storytellers. That's what we are. So we work with the clients, with the brands or the collective to find the juicy details of their operations and figure out who they are, first of all, and how they want to showcase their story to their audiences. And we do that then. We write, we do videos, we do podcasts, audio. We have many ways of disseminating then the story. And of course, a huge part of it is building relationships with the media. So that's one tool that we use a lot. The big advantage of media relations is people don't know that probably 70% of what they read in the papers, unless it's really hard news, is driven by media relations and public relations. And the way we see ourselves is we see ourselves as a a team with the journalists and the media. We need to know who they are, what they are, who is their audience. uh, Do they prefer to be pitched on a Monday morning or a Friday evening? Or do they have children at home? We're, you know, learning and please don't call during certain hours. So we establish knowledge and relationships with uh, journalists, and then it rolls. We send them information, we facilitate interviews, we do background checks for them, we work as a team. So that's earned media, which has a tremendous value because it's not written in the voice of the brand, it's written from the voice of the journalist, and it's published in either... Whichever publication it is, it's it's published there. So it's not an ad that tells you, my wine is the best. Well, of course, as a brand, I'm going to say that. But when a journalist say, I tasted this wine and it's fantastic, that has tremendous power. So that's one of the tools. Then a second strategic tool we're using a lot, and particularly these days, is influencer marketing. We work with a lot of very good, very savvy, very smart influencers who also know their audience and work with us to learn about the the brand. And for us, what's important is that they are true to themselves. Like, I don't want to work with influencers who are just posting anything because it's a paid item by a brand, but more that it resonates with them because that becomes, again, their voice. And I'm totally okay with them promoting or talking about all sorts of wines and spirits. Of course they should. They don't drink only one wine. They wouldn't be credible, actually. But I love when they have a true voice. And so this is another very powerful tool because you can listen to it anytime if it's a podcast or uh, it's on Instagram and you follow the people you like and then what 
they do resonate with you and motivates you to try a new product or a new place. So that's that. And then to amplify all of that, we also work with budgets for advertising. We can do traditional advertisement as well, but what we prefer is to amplify all these voices. So for social media, it's boosting the post or the stories, or it's working with a publication as a partner to create more traction for the story or whatever it is we do. Is it a competition? Is it uh, launching a brand? Is it working on a food pairing idea? And we amplify by paying a partnership with a, a publication that, of course, is strategically selected to uh, work in the same direction. Basically, all these tools need to work in one direction, which is creating positive awareness and generating sales. How are you measuring generating sales for some of these activities? I know I'm probably skipping ahead here, but I'm curious on like some of that earned media. It seems like that would be or even the influencer seems like it would be challenging to measure that, what that return on investment is for a brand? There are ways to measure it, of course, and especially these days. So for instance, if you do a program to bring consumers to a winery website and you see a spike in visitors and in sales also, that's easy to measure. Now, of course, it will continue in time to generate sales and, and views. So we have different ways to measure depending also on what the objective is. Is the objective to bring more consumer to a website? Is it to bring it to a store? Sometimes we do a promotion with a large retail chain, for instance, so we want them to go there. Is it to more awareness? So we're looking at uh, the number of uh, the engagement, the impressions, hashtags. Uh, for news stories, I mean, hard news newspapers or in print, we also often see a spike, you know, in, in whatever it is we were looking to achieve. And then down the line, our clients also say, you know, we just talked to someone who saw an ad or a story six months ago in a wine magazine. So this is more volatile, but when we do programs, suddenly you see the brand, you know, so there's also the number of hits we get and, and how the brand is portrayed. So that's more qualitative than quantitative. Makes sense. Obviously, you came from a larger firm in the past, probably focused on consumer packaged goods. How does wine and spirits PR differ from what the, the sort of like big CPG firms that are doing PR? I'll say the, the biggest difference is the dose of passion that we have for our products. They're usually not huge packaged goods, as you just uh, mentioned. So the budgets are smaller, but we put behind all our energy and our passion. And I always say to young recruits when they come, said, you know, winemakers are in their vineyards, rain or shine. They deal with uh, the weather. They deal with, you know, grape diseases or whatnot. Then they have to harvest those grapes. They have to make wine. They have to package it, bottle it. They have to sell it. All of these, you know, they don't wake up in the morning thinking, oh, I really don't feel like going in my vineyard today. They go. And so 
what we do is we do that every day we're in the vineyard, rain or shine. We are there for our clients and we're behind them. We team up with them and we are there as part of their team to help them grow and and sell more wine. So I would say that's the big difference. The budgets are also quite different. Yes, there are very large wine brands or spirits brands. We don't work with those because <laughs> we are a small firm, but it's the connection and we're directly connected with the founders, the CEOs, you know, the winemakers. So there's a lot of people to people interaction. And that's what I love about this business. And alcohol is heavily regulated. So I'm curious on, in terms of the tools, it seems like it takes some of your tools away that you would typically use with PR. And so I'm wondering how, and, or also things like tight house laws for retail. I'm wondering how, how you navigate around those things. So don't get me started. I'm French. <laughs> we, we start drinking wine, you know, right after uh, we are weaned from milk. And uh, the laws here are date back to the prohibition. And it's really mind-boggling to me that you can tattoo a minor anywhere, but you cannot drink a glass of wine everywhere. You know, it's, it's just amazing to me. Rent set aside, we work around the laws and we, of course, we respect the laws. Yeah. <laughs> we do not want to close or have our clients close, but there's a lot of wiggle room. And for instance, when we do tastings in California where you cannot do tastings and they are paid or this, that we do education. So there are ways around it. And being a wine PR professional requires a lot of uh, flexibility, being facile, being smart, being uh, street smart to find ways to create a program that works legally, but will also work for the brand. Wine has a bunch of specialized media. So whether it's you know, wine publications, also wine critics. And what's interesting is that there was a small number of publications and critics, you know, 20 years ago. And now uh, with social media and internet and bloggers, this is really kind of blown up. And I'm curious on how that landscape has changed and how you kind of navigate that. Yes. Well, first of all, I'm really excited that the landscape changed and grew so that we don't work exclusively with, you know, the five or, or six top wine publications, which have a very important role because they're highly specialized and they target the wine connoisseur, people who may be collecting, may are, you know, not just looking at uh, the label or are really savvy. But, and that's another one of my uh, French friends, it's like, people need to drink more wine. And we've created in the wine space such a elevated picture of what a wine is. What a wine is, it's a food. So you don't need to learn about carrot to enjoy a carrot. You don't need to learn about wine to enjoy wine. Open a bottle, try it, and it's okay if you have red with fish and white with meat, as long as you like it. You know, it's a, it's a question of personal pleasure, and I digress. So what I love about opening up the space to more people is the voice of all the bloggers, influencers. is so important to democratize wine. 
And I am and so grateful to all of them. And I love it that they pair, one of them will pair wine with a black dress, another wine will pair wine with Netflix, another wine will pair. Fine, this is great because it opens up the possibilities and it showcases the wine not as a, a, a complicated you know, unattainable goal in life to learn about wine, but just enjoyment. Enjoyment is important. And so I am very grateful to all this publication and I love working with them. Is it harder to have relationships with more and more people though, in terms of partnering with the writers? No, because again, you have a circle of people who are really professional and those are the ones we spend time with. And social media is easy. So you follow people, you like, you DM, you talk. It's It made things so fast and easy. So, you know, each of us has a fear of people they are friends with or follow more. And that's how we do it among ourselves. In the agency, we share contacts or when we come up with a program and we're thinking, okay, who should really be our target here? And we all chime in. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think that you also can get so many more voices because there are going to be people who care about that carrot and want to learn about that carrot when it was planted, like who picked it, what song was sung when it was plucked out of the ground. Like they're going to want to know all of that. And I love that too. <laughs> you know, I, I love explaining to people how the carrot grows. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I grew up in terroir and, you know, and appellation system and I still love that part because it's really it appeals to the wine geek in me yeah. mm-hmm. and I love working with wine geeks you know and uh, and really explaining everything about uh, how the wine is made and why it was made this way and who the winemaker is and why they chose to plant this grape in this particular vineyard and because of the sun exposure and the winds. And I love that. But I also love and, and respect the influencer who just wants to know, hey, it's Friday night. What do I drink? You know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's hot. Can I chill my red wine? Yes, please do. Actually, do not drink it at room temperature. Room temperature was made for castles in uh, Europe. They had rooms at uh, 12 degrees C and, you know, 55. Right. So I love that. That's both are important. And have you seen a dilution of the importance of the traditional publications in the wine space? Because, I mean, I got to imagine that a lot of people's attention is going away from print media. I think the circulation of the top magazines and, and as we know, the print media has reshuffled tremendously and some have closed, some have merged. The major, major wine publication, Wine in Food, like Wine Spectator, Wine in Spirits, Wine Enthusiast, Food and Wine Magazine, they have a core base that continues to read, but they've also pivoted a lot online. They've created more online content, which is what we need today. Yeah, I think the Wine Spectator would say that their influence is even bigger than it was before because of all the online content and the reach is technically bigger, even though their subscriber base to print is probably lower. Yes, I haven't checked actually the the numbers of the print, but uh, I know for the trade in particular, wine, those magazines are very important. Uh, getting you good for a, a brand to get good ratings in such publication definitely will boost their sales right. to a certain audience. Mm-hmm. 
the wine collectors need the scores in order to collect and have a resale value. Yeah, they can keep up with uh, all the vintages and how the weather was in Borolo or in uh, Codron or uh, (laughs) in other regions. Yes. So when you work with wine brands, do they have specific goals they set out for you and that they want your firm to achieve, whether it's number of articles and earned media or specific sales or other metrics that they use? Our preference is to set the the goals together. Yes, of course, they have an idea. So sometimes they don't. And uh, we, we're really team oriented in this company. So we love to work together. So if they say we really need to increase the number of visitors to our website or to our tasting room or to whichever event. So we work together and see, okay, that's great. What else can we do? You know, can we, can we add a step here or can we tweak the website so we capture more people or so we, we don't look just as uh, the one goal, but we'd love to encompass that goal into a strategy and work together and look at the results together. And sometimes we tweak after a few months, like, okay, this is great. Can we increase another part of your business or another aspect? What are the most common goals that wineries request and ask you for? Usually it's uh, visibility, awareness, number one, and number two, supporting their sales. Okay. The, the basic overall goals, there's no sub goals to that. So how do you measure visibility or awareness? It's just impressions or is it, you know, I like to say wine search or search ranking is a way to proxy brand. Yes, that too. When we start with a client, we usually get, I don't know, between 100 or 200 or 500, depending on the size of the program articles a year. So from two or three to that, then the jump is easy (laughs) to uh, calculate. But sub goals, yes, sometimes they'll have a very specific task at hand, which is we're launching a new brand or a new uh, a new wine, a new cuvee, can you help us launch it? So we look at the number of articles we've gotten and the response online. So what does a normal PR relationship look like for a brand? And I'm curious on a couple factors, like what size of a client should be seeking out wine PR as a, in an initial question? So like, what's that relationship look like? I mean, I imagine that it scales from a mom and pop as you go up to partner with something like a Gallo or something like that, that has a giant portfolio. Yes, it reflects the world of wine, of course. And I'll say the brand needs to have a good distribution to make a PR program cost efficient for them. Unless they want just a project and it's, for instance, we're opening a tasting room, help us bring people for a period of three months, launch it, you know, get it done. And for a brand that wants to establish itself and grow, distribution is key, whether it's uh, direct from the winery or through retailers. But I always say there's no point for us to create huge awareness for you if nobody can find you. You know, <laughs> and, uh, we don't want to sell another Cabernet Sauvignon. We want to sell yours. <laughs> and so what size... 
I think it also depends on what kind of investment uh, they have in mind. Obviously, prices for PR varies as much as the size of the wineries that are our clients. Freelancers from a freelancer who is highly specialized and can do a very, very good job to a very large firm. So our pricing is really uh, varied. And the preferred model is kind of like a yearly engagement, like a retainer project-based, or is there something in between those? We prefer and we pretty much work exclusively with retainers because you were asking earlier about the relationship between the brand and the PR agency. I can speak about our PR agency. We don't like one night stand. We like long-term <laughs> relationships. So we love to learn the brand, get totally immersed in it and become really part of their team and come up with uh, new ideas and brush obsession. But we really, we own the brands that we work with. We, we don't just do it for the budget or the money. We do it because we are truly passionate about what they do and how they work. We're in a very privileged position that we normally choose our clients. We look at, you know, do they resonate with us? Are we going to be happy promoting them because that also is important. We genuinely love our brands and love our clients and that makes the relationship with the media or sommeliers or retailers genuine as well because they know we are behind the brand 100%. And that's important to us. We're not going to work with uh, wine or spirits that we do not like. And we have refused some major brands <laughs> because we didn't doubt. The relationship with the people of the brand is very important to us and we need to drink their product and love it. So for the mom and pop wineries that are listening here, and you can give a general number if you don't want to give your, what is like a general pricing budget that you think a winery that has pretty good distribution, DDC sales, they should be spending every year on PR? Like what's a healthy budget like that it, from a, for a small producer, like a starting? For a small producer... It should be a minimum of fifty to sixty thousand dollars a year. You want this long-term relationship. You want the long-term results. You know, if you just send a, a press release, it won't do anything. You need to really target smaller pool of uh, writers, bloggers, influencers, really work with them, create a connection with the brand, create that relationship as well and nurture it. It's not immediate. Some things are immediate, but not all of them. And what's more powerful is when there is a true, a genuine connection between the media and the client. And that is not achieved overnight. It's more of a long-term process. And then you have publications that take six months. You know, they're closing now their January, February issue. You need to be able to work long-term. Right. So with that investment that the wineries make in, in your firm and in the, that relationship, I'm sure you do some progress reports or status checks and all that. How do you measure the return on that for your clients and show them that they're getting a return on that investment? Well, there's both quantity and quality. 
So it's the, of course, all the number of articles and impressions or people attending an event. We skipped over the event part, but event is also a tool we rely on to reach out to our audiences and whether it's online or not, virtual or used to be in person, this is also another public relation tool. So we have the quantity, you know, who attended that tasting and also the quality, who were they? Because for us, we prefer less people, but quality people, people who are going to move the needle, the good buyers, the people who are really interested for the trade and then for media, the people who are quality driven, whatever their publication is. So there is both you measure impressions, reach, circulation, and then the metrics that are available. A lot of wineries are very... I guess winemaker driven or production driven, right? And so it's it's really funny. Sometimes I work with wineries and the winemaker is just like, well, I make the best wine and that's why it sells, right? And just sells itself, right? And I'm like, well, you need a little more than that. <laughs> well, if he does, that's fantastic. <laughs> so some brands are very winemaker driven and they think that if I just get a high score and I make the best wines that the wine will sell itself, right? Uh, or they think I have a relationship with the critics. Do I really need PR? Are there ways that you help them expand their knowledge? I kind of tell them, well, it, it takes a lot more than that to sell to sell more wine than, than you're selling now. Well, my first reaction to this is I'm not a winemaker. I'm not pretending to make wine and telling them how to make their wine. We are specialists of marketing, public relation, and we are here to support their growth. Now, if that's not of interest to them, moving on. You know, there's many brands that are interested. And I see what you mean. Like some brands think all I need is a score and they actually ask us. We would like to be featured in one spectator, one enthusiast and one advocate, and we want a high score. Well, that I can't do. That's you and your wine can do that. That is not a job for a PR agency. We are here to do everything else. So if they want to focus on a few publications, three or four, they probably don't need us. They can figure it out on their own. But do they want to work with 400 publications? That's where we come in. And if they are open and willing to grow, that's when we can help. We were doing research for this series, and it seems like the PR firm, especially in the wine and spirit space, and maybe it's in the entire PR space, is very fragmented. And I'm curious on, you know, how should a winery go about or wine brand go about selecting a PR firm? And also, how do PR firms like yourself differentiate yourself from the, the rest of the fragmented crowd? How they should select a PR firm depends also on their goals. If they are a, a consumer, large consumer brand, and they're not promoting a wine per se, they're promoting a, an experience, a, a lifestyle, they're probably better off with a lifestyle agency or a large agency that has everything than a specialized wine PR firm. We do lifestyle, of course. We cannot only work in the wine space, but we, we don't work with celebrities, for instance. Celebrity endorsement is a totally different area of PR. So I think also large size brands should look at 
mid-size, large-size agency that have different divisions capable of doing sponsoring, celebrity recruitment, uh, rolling out an advertising campaign and whatnot. Those specialized wine PR firm are, are usually smaller because it, it is highly technical. You know, people don't realize that, that in order to be a very good wine PR, you need to learn about wine and how it's made and not ask a silly question to a winemaker. <laughs> that wouldn't work. So we are highly specialized and very knowledgeable in that wine industry space. And we work with you know, wine writers and, and lifestyle writers, but who have knowledge of wine and travel writers and food writers. And so we work in a very highly specialized uh, area. So smaller brands wanting to launch or expand their reach and become a larger brands, that's when they should hire us. All of us specialized wine PR agencies, wine or spirits for that matter, the same with spirits. What I would say about what differentiates our agency to end communications from others, we, first of all, we have a degree of passion that I don't see matched anywhere. And we do not, for instance, keep track of our time, which my accountant keeps saying it's a huge <laughs> mistake. But like the winemakers, you know, if it rains, we need to go in the vineyards, we go in the vineyards. So uh, Rain of Shine, we are here to support our clients and help them. And if we do more hours, we do more hours. It's needed. We are there to support them. So there is this. We're extremely highly specialized as well, very knowledgeable. We have several people on the team who have uh, wine certifications. We have very strong, powerful relationships with media, with bloggers, but also sommeliers, retailers. You know, if I need to do an audit, which I am currently doing for a new business proposal, I email, you know, 10 people, I receive 10 responses. So that connection is something you cannot buy. And they respect us because we know what we're talking about. And that makes really, really strong and powerful uh, relationships. It's all about, a lot of it is about relationships in, in our world. Another differentiator is we only work with products and people we respect and enjoy. Could you give us a few specific examples of some of the biggest accomplishments that you've had with your clients? Well, one of them was this year pivoting everything online. <laughs> and for some client, it took some convincing. One of them actually said to us, oh, we, we are so not ready to work virtually. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's funny, but everybody else did. I have one example that I am very, very proud of is uh, we've been working for years with a region in France called Alsace. And they're in the Northeast region. It's a small region. They make fantastic white wine in particular. The 90% of the production is white. And we've worked with them for years. And every so often, we reinvent the program because we don't want to do the same thing. First of all, it's not efficient and we all get bored. So we need to do something else that will bring them to the next level. And in 2018, 
we created a new program that we called Alsace Rocks. So rocks because of, for the wine geeks, the minerality of Alsace is unmatched by any other region in the world. They have amazing terroir and soils. So for the wine professionals, the sommelier retailers, you know, everybody smiles because they know exactly what we mean when we say Alsace rocks. But then we wanted to engage with a younger audience and make it more fun, more accessible. So we rolled out this program that is a 360 program with uh, trade, so B2B, B2C, with events, with the media, with influencer marketing. We're all over the place with Alsace Rocks. And the client in France loved it so much that they bought the concept and they are now rolling it out everywhere in the world. So... Other agencies in the world, our competitors in some parts of the world, are rolling out our Alsace Rocks program. So I am uh, very proud of this. It's definitely a region that needs help because it has amazing wines that are clearly undervalued uh, by a lot of consumers because they just don't know. And, and it's, uh, it's definitely a, one of those great regions that people need to be exploring. Exactly. And it's a small budget. We definitely make it way bigger than, uh, than the budget is. <laughs> Again, because we love the wines, we love the region, we love the people. You know, there's a, a true relationship, a true connection, and we want to help them. This has been super insightful. As we have every guest on, we always ask them for a lasting trend and a fizzling fad. And so a lasting trend, something that you think will be persistent and carry forward. And a fizzling fad is something that you think is happening now, but doesn't have the staying power to keep going for years to come. I hope you could maybe give us one or two of those for the wine PR space or just the PR space in general. That'd be super helpful for our listeners. The trend to me that is here to stay is any virtual activation. Well, any may be a little ambitious, but good virtual online activation. We've all learned to pivot. We've all seen that it was efficient, got great results, that we could reach people we normally didn't reach. So that to me is definitely something that is going to to stay. Sizzling fad, I mean... That is more challenging because we are living such different times right now. So I've seen things like, for instance, wineries pairing with uh, a food truck or to offer food at the same time of wine. I like it. I think it's a great idea. I don't know if down the road it's going to be uh, profitable. We've seen a number of wineries that did it and then stopped and then come back to it or they hired a chef and didn't quite work because they were not restaurants. They were not, you know, used to serving food. It seems like in this time there's been a lot of shots on goal in terms of trying to see, like there's bound to be some that miss <laughs> for sure. Yes. I haven't seen many in the clients we work with. They're all pretty good at building a good strategy or we're good at building a good strategy with them. But down the road, we'll see probably, you know, there is definitely Zoom fatigue. And I think that putting together a virtual event also needs to require strategy, requires good execution. So probably the most sizzling fad I see right now is bad uh, Zoom events or bad virtual 
thoughtless. Like you need to really make it as professional as an in-person event. And I think just putting three people together and blasting it for an hour is not the way to go. Makes sense. Stephanie, I want to thank you for your time. This was very informative and I appreciate you preparing all those list of questions that we've given you. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you very much, Peter and Robert. And uh, I'm looking forward to, I am now a regular listener of your podcast. I really enjoy it. Thank you That's for great. doing this. We'll get them one interview at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. If you loved this episode of X Chateau, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.